People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead return to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. Hello, and welcome to the realms of the supernatural. Ahoy there! How are you yes. all doing? F- fitting tribute to our episode today. Of course. Which is going to be pirates. And I know what you're thinking. Pirates? How's this supernatural? Blah, blah, blah. But, you know... It's, it's a bit different to Jack Sparrow and Yeah, it's exactly like I say. At the end of the day, it's our show. So we can do of course it, it anyway. But now we wanted to look at pirates. Someone just picked my, you know, picked, picked my fancy the other week. And uh, essentially what we're going to do, we're going to look at the story of Ned Lowe, or Edward Lowe, Captain yep. Edward Lowe, notorious pirate. And then we're going to look into a little bit of superstitions and then yeah. just a couple of quick little ghost stories from Florida, yeah. uh, which is a notorious place. The where Tampa the, Bay area. Yeah, where the pirates used to Very live active. there. Loot. Booty. Um, but it's the sort, the sort of things like um, there's a pirate's code and in this code, if you was uh, if you was just to do something wrong, then like if you was drunk when it went into battle, that kind of thing, it was up to the crew and the captain to decide your fate. And Ooh. one of the, one of the typical fates for someone who broke the code was to be abandoned on the nearest little island. They said, drop you off, and then the captain would generally leave you with a pistol, uh, so you could take your own life if Ooh. you know if you wanted to. Oh, but it, basically, he was left there to die, shit like that. So yeah, so that's all coming up on today's episode of Realms of the Supernatural. Natural. Definitely. Okay, so iTunes reviews. So this one comes from Sean Geraghty from Warrington in England. This is the English pod, uh, iTunes, by the way. Uh, it says, uh, this is a great podcast, very entertaining and comical in parts. Is it? Uh, still got a few episodes to catch up on. Keep up the good work, lads. You're doing a top job. Well, thank you very much for thank your you very much, Sean. review. Keep listening, mate. Thank you. From iTunes USA. Yeah, this is from Duke67. From the other side of the pond, I love how much you guys take the crazy stories from your fans and never ridicule and respect everybody. Uh, You guys recently read one of my stories and did an awesome job. Thank you so very much. Hillbilly Horror Stories introduced me to you. You guys are funny and at the same time you keep it real and very entertaining. You help me relax every night before I go to bed. Don't change a thing about your podcast. It took me a while to understand your accents, lol. Well, <laughs> hopefully, uh, Joe, yeah, you can understand us now. Us limeys. Yes. <laughs> we speak the Queen's English, don't you know? Well, I've got nothing to do with a Queen. <laughs> but that being said, right, thank you very much for that. And uh, obviously, I mentioned uh, Jackie uh, Grimes last week. Of course, yeah. the realms of the super, uh, realms of Peltron. Yeah, thank so, you very much, thank Jackie. Thank you very much again. Welcome aboard. And... Uh, Let's get on with the show. Let's do it. So, Captain Ned Lowe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I thought I'd start with the story of Edward Lowe. Okay, more affectionately known to his friends as Ned Lowe. And his story starts in Westminster, London, England, for those who don't know. In 90, uh, fucking up. In 1690, he was born. He was, he was described as illiterate. Uh, at the time, and he also was described as having a quarrelsome nature. Ooh, so, pirates did, didn't they? That sounds like one of my school reports. Yeah, well, I didn't go to school, didn't like um, school But he was known, even then, as a child, he was known as a bit of a cheat. Uh, they said he was running wild in the streets. Uh, anyway, his family, most of them were thieves. Okay, so he didn't have the best chances in life, if you like. Uh, and, like I say, he turned to the thievery if you like himself he became a pickpocket and a bit of a gambler his younger brother richard you'll like this his younger brother richard right while he was still young he was small for his age and so it was said that a friend would carry him around on a in a basket on his back you know like them you see like um people carrying these babies around in baskets in the old oh, days. yeah like, yeah yep. actually he used to carry his little brother around like that or a friend did and what he'd do he'd go into the crowds in london where all the posh knobs were, with the big wigs and the big hats and that. And then wigs were expensive back in the day. And what Richard would do is he'd, he'd pop out the basket and grab a wig 
and then the fellow run off, and then they sell the wig like. Um, obviously, the locals weren't too fond of all this, and Richard later was uh, charged with criminal criminal activity and hung in Tyburn in 1707. He was uh, actually hung for being for in the house. Ooh. So you can imagine, Lowe's life was pretty. You know, he didn't have, like I say, he didn't have much going for him, and he didn't have much chances in London. So he decides, as he gets old, he decides, I'm gonna go to the new world. Okay, so he travels to America in 1710. So this is a few years after his brother's home, yep. right? So obviously you can you can see, you know, he's thinking, oh shit, this is my, it's gonna be my demise if I carry on the way I am. Anyway, so he, he goes to uh, the states, and he's. he's He's moving about for a few years before he actually settles down in Boston, Massachusetts. And on 12th of August, 1714, he marries a girl called Eliza Marble at the First Church of Boston. Okay, they later had a son who died, unfortunately, when he was an infant. Okay, but they did have a daughter named Elizabeth. Uh, She was okay. Uh, And she was born in 1719. Now, Eliza got pregnant again unfortunately she died during childbirth yeah, it's quite common in days, yeah it? very yeah leaving low and his daughter behind like and at this point this obviously has a profound effect on his psyche yeah of course and it will have an effect going forward into becoming a pirate mm. um, it actually raised its head again because when he becomes a pirate he has this um you know affection to women um and he, off, he, he would often let them go free. So he'd make sure that if he captured a ship and had women on, obviously we'll get into what he did with the men, but the women, he'd let them return safely to port. Is that the same with the children? Yeah, or I think did, it was did, the same. Look exactly the same with yeah, women no, and I think it was, or, Yeah, it was the same go. as children yeah, as well. Right, okay. and, uh, the other thing that he'd do, which I found was, thought was quite interesting, that is he wouldn't press gang married men to join his ship. Uh, for those who don't know, don't know what press ganging is, press ganging is where they used to basically they used to go into a pub or whatever, knock someone on the head, yeah. and when the World Cup there was at sea, and at yeah. that point that, you... that was an episode in one of the uh, Long Alley. Was, was that it? one? No, yeah, where yeah they got the got the Long Alley was in, in in a bar and all that, and well, uh, uh, Hardy was outside with a big baton, and then Laura went in, you know, pissed some of them off. They run after him as soon as he comes out, bang, straight onto the ship. Yeah, you know. So and then you wake up at sea, and yeah, you, yeah, they woke up at sea. Yeah. You're part of the crew, then, aren't you? At that part point, the, there's nothing you could do about it. No, you got sea. That's it. So, so. but the, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that knowingly to married men. Ooh. So you can see, like, it sort of haunts him and it keeps Quinn up. Uh, now, when he was at sea, he did regret leaving his daughter because you're thinking, well, you know, he's left his daughter behind, and he's lost his wife. But obviously, like I say, the, the point, the point in his life where he was, and because he just got it, he just sort of get everything going right, and then it goes to shit again. Yeah. Uh, so you can imagine. Well, he wants to become. Uh, he's, he's had enough now, right? And he's he's fed up with his life, like I say. So he decides to become a rigger on a ship. Okay, and this is in uh, seventeen, early seventeen twenty-two. And he joins a gang of twelve men on a sloop, headed for Honduras. Now, a sloop is basically like a shallow-bottomed one-mast yeah. ship. Uh, quite common. You you see him quite regular uh the, the the shallow bottoms ideal for like the caribbean places like this where there's a lot of um coral coral and yeah you know like uh, shallow waters, shallow waters yeah, yeah that's right yeah so these ships are ideal and you'll 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 see a lot of pirates using sloops um and pinks that's another one it's a slightly bigger ship but it's it's got again it's got a slow uh, slow uh, what do you call it a shallow bottom yeah. so okay it's ideal for shallow waters isn't it? indeed so he joins one of these anyway heading to Endurus. And they're off there to collect uh, logs for sale in Boston. He's out there collecting these logs, right? And he returns to the ship, hungry, and he was thirsty. And he asked the captain if he could eat. And the captain said, you have to wait to eat. You know, get the job done, and then I'll feed you. Anyway, the captain said, look, you know, you've got to be satisfied with this ration of rum. Because, like, you know, in them days, they give you a... seen in the Navy, they still yeah. did, didn't they? But they give you, a, like, a ration of rum. And he was had to be satisfied with that. And, uh, well, obviously, Lowe wasn't satisfied. And because, like I say, he's at, he's at his wit's end and all the rest of it at this point. Low ebb, if you like. And he, he didn't take very kindly to this. So he took out his loaded musket and fired at the captain. 
Uh, unfortunately for Lowe, he missed the captain and shot the poor fellow who stood behind him right through the throat. Uh, anyway, so obviously you can imagine the captain wasn't too happy about this and decided that after this failed mutiny attempt, he'd leave Lowe and his friends on the island. I don't know why his friends got dragged into it, you know what I mean? But he must have he must have thought like there was all... There's always, always some kind of four guys. Yeah. There, you know? I guess they weren't particularly happy about this. But anyway, the, the 12-man gang was left behind. And this included uh, Francis Farrington Spriggs, who later becomes Captain Spriggs, a notorious pirate in his own right. And we'll probably talk about him another, another time. Spriggs and the other 11-man help him overcome a sloop just off the coast of Rhode Island, killing one man during the theft. Okay, so Lowe and his crew turned pirate at that point, and they wanted to go their own way, and they even set about making his own flag. And his flag at the time was, uh, and it was quite a common flag, you might have seen it, it's like a black flag, uh, you know, like the Jolly Roger, because everyone yeah. thinks that pirates just had the Jolly Roger, it's the skull and crossbones black flag, which it did, and a lot of them sailed under that. But the bigger pirates or... The more, you know, a lot of them had their own wanted their own stamp on yeah. this, and he, and Lowe's flag was a black flag with a red skeleton Ooh. in it. Uh, and I'll put the picture up on the website if you want to go and have a look, like, or I'll put it up on Facebook. It is an interesting flag in its own right. So now, captain in this ship, because he became he made himself captain at this point, obviously. He, he he sails the shipping routes between Boston and New York. And within a few days, he's captured. And, and plundered a few ships, right? And what they'd do, once they caught the ship, they'd cut its rigging away. So, it was not, it won't, you know, it was repairable, but Ooh. it'd take quite a while to repair it, so that the guys could, uh, you know, couldn't raise the alarm straight away. So it was just to slow him down, yeah. really. He didn't At this point, he's not going around killing people, uh, willy-nilly. I mean, he does kill people, but, but not everybody, you know what I mean? He lets a lot of people get away. The other thing he would do, and this was common again, like I said, I mentioned press ganging earlier, but if they caught a boat or captured a boat and he needed some crew members, he'd just take them. Again, this is like a press gang. Yep. And you get quite a lot of people coming out talking about how they was press ganged into being on part of the ship and then escaped later on, you know, when they would come up. Because every now and again, they'd have to sit, um, come to land for drinking water, fresh yeah. drinking water. And a lot of these guys had escaped. A lot of them would be shot like, but a lot of them escape. So Lowe heads south and begins operating in the waters around Grand Cayman, yeah? With a period as lieutenant and is to establish pirate George Lofer, who captained a ship called the Happy Delivery. Ooh. Okay. So I don't know what he thought he was delivering, but it's uh, it's an interesting name for a ship. Anyway, this was a 100-ton Rhode Island sloop, yeah, with eight cannons and ten swivel guns. So this was, you know, yeah. not, not to be messed around with. But unfortunately, it was destroyed by Indians. And Lofer and his crew transferred to the sloop named the Ranger. Lofer's crew was always expanding because there was sailors willing to join him because he got, like, a reputation, yeah. you know, as a, a really good pirate and he was, he was earning a lot of money. Now, you do earn a lot of money as a pirate, but you don't live for very long. The sort of average lifespan of a, of a decent pirate is about three years. <laughs> Depends how good you get. Yeah, so you've got to make your cash in three years and get out. Yeah. Otherwise, you you know what I mean? You're only going down to David Jones' locker, really. So so it was while working for Lofer, Captain Lofer, that Low starts becoming cruel. Um what do you call it? Psych- psychotic? Yeah, yeah, psychotic, yeah. Uh, and he actually teaches Spriggs at the time his torture technique, which involved what he'd do. He'd tie like a piece of, uh, what's the, the 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 fuse? What do you call it? The, you know the fuse that goes in the cannon? Yeah. It's just called fuse. It's got a special name, isn't it? I can't remember what it's called. But he'd, he'd put that in between the like the fuse, you know, the the, the, the rope. The wick. Like. Yeah, the wick. He'd put yeah. that in between people's fingers and then set fire to it and it'd burn the flesh because it's slow burning, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. And it'd just burn the flesh off the, the fingers. This was one of his favourite torture techniques and that comes out quite yeah, a lot. Why would why would he torture him when he's only got the loot on the boat? Or did he just like he was, doing that anyway? Well, a lot of them didn't give up the loot. Ah, right. They, they had yeah. To, and I mean, it had to be somewhere on the boat anyway, didn't it? Sometimes, sometimes not. There was a Portuguese captain that I'll come on to shortly who actually would rather chuck the gold than get than lose it. Ah, oh, right. Okay. okay. So, yep. so sometimes, yeah, sometimes they end up willingly. Sometimes they 
think they might get away with it, give it over a little bit, and then hide some on the ship somewhere. So, you know, I guess torture was the quickest way to mm. extract your information. Like, But I think he just enjoyed doing it because, yeah. like I said, he was a, he'd gone a bit psychotic at, the, at this point, if you like. So, after a number of successful raids, Lofer eventually captured a large six-gun uh, boat called, which he named the Rebecca. This is on the 28th of May, 1722. So you can see it's, it's moving quite quickly since yep. it's become a, since you know, become become a pirate early, early 72, uh, 1722. And this is May, and he's he's already moving up through the ranks, if you like. Now he gave this ship to Lowe to captain, along with 44 crew. Now they sailed for a little bit together, and at some point, Lowe decided he wanted to go his own way. And there was no argument about this. Apparently, they came to an arrangement in Malofa, and he agreed. And that will come back later on. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a good job he did, you know, leave am- amicably, if you like. So then we get into June 1722, and Lowe and his crew attacked 13 New England fishing vessels, sheltering. There was a storm, and these guys were sheltering in, in the in anchor, um, sheltering uh, in the Port Roseway, that's in Shelburne, North of Scotia. Although outnumbered, Lowe hoisted the Jolly Roger flag and declared no mercy would be given on the fishermen if any resisted. Now, the Jolly Roger, when that's hoisted, that means exactly that, no resistance. But there was another flag that Lowe would fly off on, which was just a red flag. Nothing on it, just a pure red flag. And that would mean no quarter given, no surrender. And if you were boarded where that flag was flying, that was it, you was dead. And so... A lot of ships. If you, if you, because what Lowe's favourite trick was was to was to sail into ships with, uh, say it was a Portuguese vessel, he's sailing with a Portuguese flag flying, or an English vessel, he's sailing yep. with a, get close up to him, then hoist the Jolly Roger, and mm. at that point they'd be too close to fire the weapons and they'd just surrender mm. if they had any sense. Like, well, what he did, as I say, he comes psychotic. He starts hoisting this red flag, uh, and the red flag, like I say, that means if he comes aboard and you're there, you're dead. So a lot of fish. So no mercy for anybody. No on board. mercy, nothing. Oh, okay. So the problem with this was, like I say, because the fear that that flag putting people, people would rather jump into the sea and take the chances in the sea than be caught on that ship. And so that you know the red flag, you know, held that sort of thing. And, and he was famous for for using this flag. He's one of the pirates who really reveled in this Ooh. this red flag. And like I say, if he did come aboard and he was still there, he did he did kill you. And we'll get onto a bit of that. So, as you can imagine, he robs the vessels, and again, he takes the best ship for himself, which was an 80-ton schooner, which he renamed the Fancy. Now, she was armed with 10 guns and became his flagship. Uh, Flo himself, with his crew, he he liked to sail in sort of three or more, like around three ships. He didn't like to have a big, big fleet, but... Or Fatilla, if you like. He often would sail with about three, three to four ships, and this, the fancy became his flagship. Okay. The ship he sailed there with, the Rebecca, he just left there behind. They don't... You think you get this, like, you know, like you watch Pirates of the Caribbean or some you've shit. You've got one boat. And you've got one boat. And, and, and his whole, like, fucking Jack Sparrow's whole missions to get the Black Pearl back, innit? Yeah. Uh, like, he's got this big affection for it. Like, it's a, like it's a you know, like a favourite pet dog or some yeah. shit. But the Pirates didn't, didn't, have that affection for the ships um it was just it was a, a means to an end it was if the next if a bigger one a better one comes along mm. not necessarily a bigger one because that's like I said before about the the shallow bottoms but if a if a better ship came along they just took it yeah you know there was no you know oh, for, and so it's just a vehicle it's like a, like someone who nicks a car he, wants, probably, he wants to know his car don't he, he wants yeah, to know yeah his absolutely but you're probably thinking um why not just keep the same name but we'll get on to that when we get on to the superstitions yeah um so, like I say, so he's captured these boats, forced these guys to join him. There's a guy there, uh, Philip Ashton, who later writes about being kept, like, press ganged onto the ship, essentially. And he said he was he was beaten, whipped, kept in chains and threatened with death over and over and over again. Because Lowe wanted him to sign these uh, papers, um, which basically wanted to sign that he was part of his crew. Because there's a, there's a pirate's code. Yep, correct. Okay, so... And that this is this is quite um, extensive when you get into it. it. It tells you exactly what you get per raid, 
Um, if you don't do certain things, if you, if you show like um, what's it called? You know where you 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 you're, um, wavering about going aboard. What's the, what's the word for that? You're wavering like cowardice. Ah, right. If, if you, you show yeah, if you show cowardice, it tells yeah. you what they have to do, yeah. and it, and it's quite democratic because it'll say like it'll say. So it's basically a rule book. It's a rule book, yeah. And, and it'll say like if you show cowardice, it's up to the captain plus the crew to come up with a, a punishment for you. Yeah. So it's not a punishment. If you this, you will walk the plank. It's they'll decide, hmm. or make him sweep the floors, or clean our shout for two weeks, or whatever. Yeah. Depending on the person is obviously if it's yeah, a person yeah. that just picked up, then he's probably gonna be yeah. fed to the fishes, like, but. Uh, even even in that book, it tells you what each person had a title. Okay, like like it's like an army, it's like a military operation. Mm. Uh, his quartermaster was called John Russell, and apparently he was a bit he was a bad bastard as well. Yeah. Um, but the quartermaster gets X amount of the booty, and then it goes down like that. Uh, and depending even on what how much you effort you put into getting it, um, there was certain things like if um, if if the call was given to board a ship. The first guy aboard got like double what everybody else got. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the, nine times out of ten, he's not going to come the first, back. Yeah, he? well, yeah, you know? but it was an incentive <laughs> at least. You know what I mean? Yeah, send him in. He's not going to come. We'll, we'll we'll take his share anyway. And the other thing they used to do when they did get the gold, they they didn't like say they got like a pretty gold vase or some mm. shit or vase. They wouldn't just say, "Oh, this is a pretty gold vase." Let's no, they chop it up into bits and then share it out Yeah, because they just melt the gold down and we'll come on to gold like I say when we get on to some of the things later on okay so I mentioned before about Lowe's tactic of low hoisting false colours okay yeah. and this is where we get the term false flag yeah. you know and again when we come into conspiracies and stuff you, you wear this false flag all the time well this is where this saying comes from now this nearly cost him because off the coast of St. John's, Newfoundland, Lowe mistook a fully armed man of war for a fishing boat. Right? There's a bit of difference here between yeah, a fu- Now, I don't know what the conditions were like on the day, because obviously we're assuming it's a clear day, it's daytime, but it might not have been. I guess there might be some mitigating circumstances here. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, but whatever. He managed to get up to this boat before he realised he dropped a bollock. And, uh, he, but luckily, like I say about before, having this smaller ship and the faster vessel, yep. he managed to escape. Okay, so he moves then up to the Azores, where he captures a French or Portuguese, okay, pink. And again, like I spoke before, pink is, again, another shallow bottom ship, but it's more of a, like a, where's the, the sloops and that, they're like one mast. Yeah. The pink is three mast. It's more of a cargo vessel. So it's a bit more typical, if you think about a pirate ship, the pink is that. Yeah. Okay, but it's still, like I say, it's decent. And this obviously becomes his new um, flagship, which he called the Pink Rose. Oh, sorry, the Rose Pink, which he called the Rose Pink. Obviously, uh, quite creative there with a the name. Now, he also captured an English vessel, right, with two Portuguese aboard. And Lowe, for some reason, had... At this point, he wasn't particularly bad to English. If he caught English vessels normally, and there was the English crew, he'd normally let them go. But for some reason, if he caught a ship, then it had foreigners on it, foreign to him, so he's English-like. But if he caught, like this, for example, this one had Portuguese guys on it, right. and he later on he catches another Portuguese vessel. For some reason, he had, he had, and I don't know if it's just the English xenophobia, you know, the world's against kind of thing, but for some reason, he had, he had it in for foreigners. Okay, so he had his men, these two poor Portuguese passengers aboard this ship, he had his men hoist them up uh, to the uh, yard arm, which is obviously where the sail goes, hoist them up and drop them back to the ground. Hoist them up and drop them back to the ground. Now, this happened a few times before he actually killed them. Um, And again, I don't really know... Again, obviously psychotic, but I don't know... I'm not really sure why he's got it in for foreigners. But but yes, and then again, it could just be that he's English. Everything seems to be going swimmingly, yeah, and that's a pun, right? Because he sails the Pink Rose and the Fancy, Captain, and the Fancy at this time he gave over to a guy called Charles Harris. Okay, uh, the drop anchor to remove growth, seaweed, and barnacles, because obviously there's no safe ports really for Ooh. pirates. Okay, there is a few pirate ports, but. 
generally speaking, it's not safe to uh, to 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 moor. So what they do, they just find shallow water and they'd scrape the barnacles, put men, you've probably seen it, they hoist the lower men over the side like a rope, and then or like a small boat, and then they, they just basically scrape the barnacles off. Yeah. But what he did, he had his men hoisted over the side, uh, and then he lowered them, but this this is, this is I think what they call it, is um, careering, careening, something like that. It's got a name anyway. For this yeah. And um, he had too many men, See, he's still relatively inexperienced as a captain. See, I mean, he's only been a ship like a year at this point or whatever. And he had too many of his men go over the side at once and actually brought the ship over, listed it, and to a point where the portals were open on the far side, obviously where the guns are and that, and it started taking on water. And unfortunately, it sank and killed two men in the process. And again, unfortunately, the Pink Rose, like I said before, was a cargo ship. So it was carrying most of the provisions for the, for the Fertilla. So at this point, Lowe captured a schooner and, re- and called it the Squirrel. Well, it was called the Squirrel. And he took over that at this point. Now, the men were strictly, strictly rationed to fresh water of half a pint per man per day. You think about where they are. You think about the heat. And the work they do. And the work they do, because it's a—it's not like um, you can slack off on a ship. It's—it's, it's you know, it's a twenty-four-seven operation. Yeah. You know, if you're not—if you're not anchored, you're working. Ooh. Even when you're anchored, you're working. But half a pint per man per day. Yeah. So they're headed for land, okay, and uh, they eventually ended up in Grenada. What he did, he hid most of his men below deck, okay, so that he'd come in and then the guys would wave him on. He'd say, look, you know, we're just a small ship, and which he was. And they said, okay, yeah, and didn't see all these men. He gets ashore, gets the war. The following day, a French sloop was sent to investigate. Uh, and obviously, at that point, all these men came out and captured their ship as well. In capturing the sloop, which he renamed the Ranger, and gave the squirrel... So Spriggs, okay, and again, like I say about yep. Spriggs, he comes his own parent in his own right, but Spriggs was now, at this point, his quartermaster, and again, like I mentioned before about the code of conduct, the, yep. yeah, the quartermaster gets a bit more, so he was his right-hand man, if you like, uh, and re- uh, Spriggs renamed the Squirrel, which is a bit of a shit name for a ship, if, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, he renames it to the Delight, before sailing off in the middle of the night after a small disagreement with Lowe, and this was over... Uh, low discipline one of Spriggs' men one of Spriggs' crew and Spriggs didn't like that so like say in the middle of the night he just set sail right um, so I don't think um, I don't think Lowe was calling it the delight at that point but now Lowe captures his keeps capturing ships um, including one that he named the Fortune this particular ship, the Fortune, this comes out in the trial uh, when a na- guy who was on the f- trial, uh, one of the sailors on board the Fortune named John Whelan recalled how Lowe stripped the boat, including gold, to the value of £150, which is a lot, like I say, in them days, then beat him and cut off his ear with a cutlass. Um, so he'd already got the money at this point, but still cuts this guy's ear off. Anyway, <clears throat> Lowe goes on to capture another Portuguese ship called the Nosta... Signora di Victoria, I think it was, on the 25th of January, 1723. Now, the Victoria's captain allowed a bag containing approximately, in today's money, £15,000 worth of gold. He let it fall into the sea rather than let low capture it. And this is what I was saying about before. Now, again, one of Lowe's men talks about what happened on this boat. And he says that, it was noted that Lowe was, uh, this is one of the most cruel episodes so far that he carried out. In his rage, this is for losing the gold, in his rage he slashed off the Portuguese captain's lips with a cutlass, broiled them and forced the victim to eat them while it was still hot. Then he murdered the remaining crew. Lowe's men describe him as a maniac and a brute. Ooh. Okay, and that We'll come back to autumn later on. There's another story about him capturing a French 
cook on one of these fe- uh, vessels, and he called him a greasy fellow who would fry well. And another tells of once he killed 53 Spanish captives with his cutlass. Now, some historians believe that this is bullshit. It's just one of these um, tales that he was, it was getting passed around so that yeah. he made him look more ferocious, you know what I mean? But I don't know. I mean, a lot of this comes from his own men. Um, Memoirs of a pirate. Yeah. I mean, it was that into the torture, right? He even got involved in it himself. Um, you know, he didn't just let it have his men doing it while he was captain of the ship. Or he actually got involved in it. And actually, one failed torture session led to him actually getting uh, accidentally scarred. He actually, Ooh. you know, got caught like. But we still didn't stop him. He still got involved in it. Now, eventually, as you can imagine, with all the pirates, especially at this this uh, time we're talking about, which is the what they call the golden age of piracy, which was the um, early 18th century, the, the, the Navy, the British Navy, uh, and a few others were really getting on top of this pirate situation yeah. at this point, and a bounty was put on Lowe's head. So Lowe sets off for the uh, Azor- Azores again, teaming up with a guy called Charles Harris. And they terrorised the, the Azores, as you can imagine. But obviously, with that much destruction of that, the authorities got wind of this. And they sent a guy up there to to find him. So Lowe and Alice had their ships left in the Azores, on the 10th of June, 1723, they suffered a resounding defeat in battle with the HMS Greyhound, a heavily armed man of war. Greyhound had been dispatched under command of Peter Zolgard to hunt down Lowe's fleet, Lowe and his fleet. Ooh, yep. Lowe fed in the fancy with a skeleton crew and, get this, £150,000 in gold aboard. And headed back to the Azores, leaving Harris and the Ranger behind. You know, there's no, no, you know, he just dumps the guy. Now, the 25 of the crew of the Ranger, including the ship's doctor, were tried between the 10th of July and the 12th of July, and Solgard giving evidence and recounting the battle. The men were hanged for felony, piracy, and robbery near Newport, Rhode Island, on the 19th of July, 1723. Harris was sent back to England and hanged. At executioner's dock in is it? Whipping. Whipping. When Solgard returned to New York, he was presented with the freedom of the city and get this, a gold snuff box for his part in bringing some of Lowe's men, uh, Lowe's crew to justice. Unfortunately, he didn't get Lowe though, did he? But Lowe, catching the fancy at this point, sails north and eventually captures a whaling vessel. And he was really pissed off at this point that, you know, the loss of Harris. Yep. Um, that when he captured this ship, he tortured the capture. Cap, he tortured the capture. Captain. He tortured the captain before shooting him through the head. He set the whaling crew adrift with no provisions, intending them to starve to death. I mean. Sounds nice. It, why? You know, obviously, you, I mean, they can't look after him because chances are they'll probably, you know, they're not exactly yeah. going to be happy with him killing a captain and that. But I don't know; it's just, it's just a strange thing. Guys, a nut job, mm. isn't it? Right, Lowe's crew took a fishing boat near Block Island. Lowe decapitated the ship's master, then sent the crew ashore. When he captured two more vis- fishing boats on Rhode Island, he had the same intentions again to do what he did before. But the crew, at this point, Refused to carry out any more of his orders to torture fishermen. It's just, he's getting out of hand, isn't yeah. it? You know. So this is sort of signaling the end here. So heading south again, Lowe captures a 22-gun 22 gun French ship, a large Virginian, Virginian, Virginian merchant vessel, the Merry Christmas. In late June 1723, following the defeat by the Greyhound, Lowe became peculiarly, peculiarly cruel. To the English victim. So now he's got it in for the English at this point. His fleet of three ships rejoined forces with George Lofer. Again, like it's a good job he left on good terms with him. In July, 
Uh, and late 1723, Low and Lofer's fleet captured the delight off the coast of Guinea, uh, mounting 14 guns on her, with the command being given to Spriggs. Two days later, Spriggs and Lofer both abandoned Low, leaving the Merry Christmas by, uh, by now mounted with 34 guns as his sole ship. So at this point, he has one ship. Yep. Now we get on to what happened to Low. Now there's conflicting reports. Some say he sailed off into sunset. I mean, he had hundred and fifty grand on him, right? So he sailed off into sunset, sun, sunset, and lived out a happy, merrily life, drinking I can't rum. Say that. Yep. Some say that he was captured by the French under a pseudonym. Uh, they possibly found out who he was, brought him back, and executed him uh, under this pseudonym. So we don't know for sure. But for me. I just can't see him stop him. You know, he's got to this point now where he's, you know, he's not going to stop, is he? No. So I, no. I, he's I got imagine, that mindset now. Yeah, well, I imagine on, at some on, point somebody probably got the better of him and he, he maybe just sunk somewhere and that's... Or, maybe, that's the crew, that. or maybe his crew got him. Yeah, or that. But that's the story of Ned Lowe. Mm. A vicious bastard was he. He was. Like quite uh, many of them anyway, wasn't they? So let's get into the paranormal news then, and then we'll look at some superstitions, uh, maritime superstitions, and... A couple of ghost stories yeah, as well. Yeah, a couple of ghost stories. Pirate-based ghost stories. Arr, Welcome to another instalment of the Paranormal News, broadcasting to you from places unknown, bringing you the top three paranormal headlines of the week. Five, four, three, two, one. Right, you'll like this one, right? Go on, from the Mirror, story number three. Amateur astronomer. Films three UFOs flying between Earth and the Moon in airy footage. Three disc shapes can be seen zooming across the Moon's surface when the camera is zoomed in. The amateur astronomer has captured three UFOs flying between the Earth and the Moon on his camera. The footage was filmed on the 22nd of April and uploaded to YouTube by Don't Stop Motion. It shows him filming a half moon with a 4K camera, which I don't know anything about 4K cameras, but presumably that's really good, yeah? And while the camera wobbles slightly, not that good then, the moon's craters can be seen clearly. As he zooms in and focuses the lens, the film took place on a cloudless night, which meant viewing was clear. Ooh, yeah. Well, it would be really stupid to go out and film, on a, and clear, film the moon when you can't see it, but yeah, okay. But the astronomer, <laughs> which I can't say, continued... Astronomer. To I'll zoom say it. in, three round discs could be seen darting across the area. Two of them appear quite close together, while others lag slightly behind. But they do seem to be flying in formation. The footage was shared by UFO Today and has, been, has received more than... 1,500 views. People commenting on the video said, and this is the best bit when people start commenting on these videos. Yep. One said, very cool. Others started to speculate about what the object was. Nemo6989 said, looks like an asteroid casting two shadows. One from the sun, the other from the reflection of the moon on the earth. Uh, sorry. The other from the reflection of the Earth on the moon. Okay, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Ryan W commented, Shadows from a passing by satellite, maybe. Darren Chambers suggested, it could be birds. <laughs> birds, yeah. Check out the footage. If you want to see the footage, it will be available on realmsofthesupernaturalpodcast.com. Yeah. Right, this is from the Daily Mirror, number two. Ghost hunters have recorded eerie voices saying, Let me out! At a haunted former church, allegedly 
built over the unmarked graves of children who died around Christmas. Not Freddie Mercury, was it? I don't know. What did he say? Let me out. Yeah, it's one of his songs, isn't it? Let me. No, one. It was David Bowie, wasn't it? Bowie. Is it Bowie? Yeah, listening to Hammering sounds sound. and Let unexplained orb lights were also caught on camera at the Grade 2 listed ruins. Paranormal investigators claim a rock was thrown at them inside the cold Christmas church, which has attracted ghost hunters for decades. Christmas church. Mm. It is believed the grounds were once used for satanic rituals of course. by witches and a number of children are buried there after dying because of freezing temperatures. A team from Cambridge Ghost Hunters toured the site near Way in Hertfordshire as temperatures plunged to minus eight. Dear. Lead paranormal investigator Craig Jones said, the story behind the church is around Christmas. A lot of children died because of the freezing temperatures. It has also been known to have people doing witchcraft and devil worship at the church. Footage captured by the team shows a K2, me a K2 meter, a popular ghost hunting device used to detect electromagnetic fluctuations going off in the grounds of the 15th century church tower. Strange hammering sounds are heard before an eerie growl is recorded saying, let me out. Mr. Jones from Cambridge claims a rock was then thrown at them. I will put all his footage on the website yep. and on the hangout. Definitely bad. I've listened to this, uh, it's, it's about three minutes into, and I can't hear nothing. I can't hear anybody it's saying, let pressure. me out. It's under pressure. What? That, let me out. Oh, is that the song? Yeah. Oh, right, okay, the let pressure. me out. Oh, yeah, let me out. Yeah, well, I've just listened to it, uh, and I can't hear a growl, and I can I, I can hear just the spirit, the spirit box going yeah. off. Like yeah, and, and the K2 meter to me is... Bullshit. It, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you know. It'll, yeah. It's got. It's a. It's, it's a nice thing. A bit loud. It's got pretty lights on. That's it. To yeah. Me. It, it so. makes. It makes ghost interest. Uh, ghost hunting interesting. Well, when it goes off, people yeah. think you know uh, spirits present. I mean, they're always present anyway, and they reckon it picks them well. up. Or again, yes, quite very well, you, interesting. But well, you can go check out the video and see if you hear anything, and let us know. Yeah. Uh, you could hear something that I'm not hearing. Or, Realms or of the Supernatural Podcast.com. You're going to like this one. Yeah, yeah, you're going to like this one. Number one. <laughs> Number one. From the Daily Mirror again. Yeah, the Mirror's had some good shit. Erotically it? charged sex fairies spotted trying to join in on a human romps. Well, yeah, we've all yeah. been there. Are we? Oh, okay. <laughs> Dr. Simon Young and Dr. Siri Holbrook's new book, Magical Folk The British and Irish Fairies. Uh, 500 AD to the present is the first map all the alleged fairy sightings in the UK. Has it got uh, mine in there? Don't know. Dr. Young spent four years poring over the results on an online survey to map all the sightings of the fantasy figures in Britain. More than 1,000 people responded, including 4% who still do not believe in what they saw. Some 44% so said they had seen actual fairies once and 20% see them quite regularly. Mm. Uh, the online survey included detailed questions about the geographical, social, and religious background of all the respondents, as well as the actual experiences. Uh, all of those who provided detailed descriptions of those of British and Irish fairies also added uh, the locations where they saw and sometimes continue to see fairies. Right, some 80% of people saw fairies once or only occasionally, which suggests that a special sensory talent is not necessary to come across them. No. Uh, erotic encounters with the supernatural beings oh were reported in several counties. Oh, aye. A respondent in Lanarkshire said their sighting was of a little red fairy, uh, and in Mull it was a dazzling figure, 10 to 12 feet tall, surrounded by a flame-like aura. A couple from Essex. Well, here we go. Oh, so that's going to confuse it? people, that in it, because like a lot of people have got like Tinkerbell in the red. Well, no, we know yeah. that. Well, yeah, I know, can be but, seems, yeah. you know, quite big as well. Because people are probably thinking, how's Tinkerbell getting involved in romps here? Well, unless they can actually, yeah. actually, 
They're meant to be small, or they they can increase their size. Well, anyway, we can all do uh, that during ropes, can't we? Well, yeah, it, it just depends, you know, depends how quick you are. Anyway, uh, a couple from Essex said they were having sex in the forest. As you do, uh, yeah, as you do. Now you're asking for We've trouble. Aren't you? You're asking for trouble, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and they were all and they said they were having sex in the forest, and they were then joined by fairy lights around an oak tree. In Hampshire, two friends said they saw a enormous grey greyish shape that turned into two female fairies, each about three and a, and a half to four feet tall. Mm. One with long blonde hair, one with long black hair, who laughed like a babbling brook. Uh, in Somerset, a what fairy... What laughing at? I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> his size, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, in Somerset, a fairy allegedly appeared erotically dancing among a crowd of hundreds of people. Oh, aye. Yeah. Dr. Young said British fairies are not necessarily nice, tutu-wearing, butterfly-sized creatures. No. Uh, respondents who encountered British and Irish fairies reported that they were angry, particularly in Essex and Scotland, or well, in Scotland, and mischievous. Some respondents reported that their encounters were sexually and erotically charged in Essex Hampshire and Somerset. Okay. Well, yeah. So that's the places to find dogging. Yeah. Dogging spots for fairies. Is yeah. Is that place there? Okay, okay. Fairies, fairy sizes varied from leaf size to fifteen-foot giants. Mm. Britain's top fairy towns are London, with over fifty percent of regular city sightings, along with Birmingham, Bath, Glasgow, and Aberdeen. Top countries are Devon, Cornwall. Lancashire, Lincolnshire, mm. our country, London, Essex, and Oxfordshire. Uh, in Yorkshire, where the Cottingley Fairy fo- photographs I mean, were taken. They ain't leaving many out, though, to be fair. No. But carry on. It's still one of Britain's most active counties where fairies are regularly sighted. So, if you think of going to uh, the woods for a bit of uh, dogging and, you know. Get your son to Essex. Yeah, yeah, especially in Essex, apparently they're erotically charged there. And if you want to see that map where <laughs> of the locations, we will you know you where them. to find it. Absolutely, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? Indeed. Does it does it mention what these theories look like? It's once here. It said in Cornwall. This is a, a chap from Cornwall. He said it was a brown, leathery skinned, very angry looking old man. Uh, and in Durham, someone said it was an invisible, moving, a turnstile. Mischievous ones are most frequently reported in Lancashire, but also Cornwall, Devon, Dorset, Hertfordshire, Lincolnshire, Shropshire, Somerset, Sussex, Tyne and Weir, and Worcestershire. Anywhere else in the UK we forgot to mention? Well, angry Scottish fairies are reported in Perthshire. One report said it was a little skinny man of about 60 and 3 feet tall, dangling his feet on my bed. Another was a leaf-sized, skinny, and looked male, although I didn't see any genitalia. Oh dear. Right. No wonder they get involved in romps, then. Yeah, well, obviously, they're maybe feeding off the yeah. energy when you're, you know, having your wicked way, and they, uh Bonkers. Yeah. I think they're all bonkers, mate. So that's the, uh oh Big and little theories. Right, so that was the paranormal news then. Right, so we'll look at uh, some maritime slash pirate superstitions because everybody's familiar that with, with, you know, sailors, fishermen, they've all got superstitions uh, f- ranging from what day to sail uh, to what not to do on board or yeah. what to do on board. So interesting superstitions that you've run across what well uh, i've you? got a few i'll just uh one few a few of them yeah. right one and one is quite interesting which i thought quite great uh the first one is no bananas on board aside from their peels causing many comedians to trip and fall down bananas have long been thought to bring bad luck especially on ships apparently at the height of their trading empire between spain and caribbean in the 1700s most cases of disappearing ships happen to be carrying a cargo of bananas at the time. Right, wait, is that coincidence? No. Is that possible? Because they, they obviously 
obviously the certain time, you know, they would, it it was would, they to would do, go through haste. What they would yeah, so it quick. was to do with uh, the bananas perish quickly. Yeah, so, so they had to get them from A to B. Yeah, so instead of, yeah, so instead of taking breaks, they would try and travel through. Hence, yeah, yeah. Um, fishermen thus never caught anything while bananas were aboard. Apparently, another danger was they said was caused by the monkey's favourite fruit fermenting so quickly that the heat of the storage or in the hull where the bananas were stored would produce deadly toxic fumes. Mm, well, that'll do it. Yeah, of course yeah. it would. There, another theory of it is that a species of deadly spider would hide inside the banana bunches. Mm, I've seen that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the, their lethal bite caused crewmen to die. I got that from the lo- local supermarket. Yeah. Oh, it was dear. squashed, though. Oh, you squashed yeah. it. Okay. No, it was already squashed in bananas. Like. Ah, right, yeah. okay. Good job, wasn't it? You're fucking right. Uh, yeah. Uh, caught, they caused the crewmen to die, suddenly heightening the fear that the banana cargo was a bad omen. Most boat, many boaters continued to avoid bananas at sea. Some even avoided banana-smelling suntan lotion. <laughs> don't ask me. Yeah, well, don't know. <laughs> didn't know you could get that. Machine. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Another one was uh, women were said to bring bad luck on the board because they distracted the sailors from their sea duties. Yep, no women aboard. No women aboard. Nice. Uh, that's that's my rules as well. Yep. The kind of uh, this kind of behaviour angered the intemperate seas that would take their revenge out on the ship. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, naked women on the board were completely welcome. Mm. Long as was naked. Well, that was to do with like apparently if if there was a storm coming, if a woman, if you could get hold of a woman, because obviously he didn't have them on board, but if you could get hold of a woman and let her bare her breasts to the storm, that would yeah, calm the storm. Right. That would, you know, see, that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that if you always see figureheads on, on the front of the ship, on the front of the ship they have, right. they all, a lot of them have bare breasted women. Yeah. And that's because, you know, sailing to good weathers. Yeah. They got yeah. Uh, this is why ships typically had a figure of a topless woman perched on the bow of the ship. Her bare breasts shamed the stormy seas into a calm mm. sea, and their open eyes guided the seamen to safety. Um, apart this, we'll get again. Male children born on the ship were, were referred to as son of a gun. Is this where the saying comes from? All right. Because the most convenient place to give birth on deck, if you weren't too afraid of having a woman on board, was on the gun deck. Heaven, having a male child on board was a sign of good luck. Uh, Mounders Sorry. have held, uh, long held the belief that whistling... So there's a bit of a paradox there, isn't there? Why? Well, because you can't have a woman on board, but then if you do have a woman on board and she's pregnant and she gives birth, then that's good luck. Well, again, she might be... Dead, but you, but you how take, long does the I'm good luck last for? don't know. Mounders hmm. have uh, long held the belief that whistling or singing into the wind, whistle up the wind. will whistle up a storm. Mm. Don't red, do that. Yeah, red sky at night, we know we know about that one. Shepherd's delight. Shepherd's delight. Uh and that's sea. good for pirates as well. Yeah. Well, it would be because it would be fair weather the next day. So. Of course. Yeah. At sea, some words must be strictly avoided to ensure the ship and crew's safe return. These include obvious ones like drowned yep. and goodbye. Yep. If someone says good luck to you, it is sure to bring about bad luck. The only way to reverse the curse is by drawing blood. So usually a good punch in the nose will do. Yeah, that's right. right. So it's farewell. Yeah. Farewell. Right. Don't sail on Thursdays, Fridays, the first Monday in April or the second Monday in August. Right. Fridays because <laughs> Fridays have been considered the lucky days, likely because Jesus Christ was crucified on a Friday. Mm. Right. Thursdays are bad sailing days because that is Thor's day, the god of thunder and storms. Yep. Makes sense. First Monday in April. The first Monday in April is the day Cain slew Abel. Mm. Second Monday in August, the second Monday in August is the day the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Yeah, wrap that round you. Right. Also, another superstition. A pierced earlobe on a sailor meant that he had sailed around the world or had crossed the equator. Superstitious sailors wore gold hoop earrings because they believed it brought good fortune. Some believed that the gold possessed magic, healing powers, or that it served as a protective talisman that would prevent the wearer from drowning. It also, it was, they also used to wear, if you was a wealthy pirate, you'd have a gold, you know, you always see the gold Ooh. sleeper in the air all night. Well, a lot of them used to do that. Uh, used to get, get as much gold as they could, melt it down, like I said before yep. about them chopping up gold. They'd melt the gold down, make it into a really good earring, Ooh. which is worth a lot of money. They'd even inscribe in it, their, you know, their place 
of burial, if you like, so Port Royal, whatever. Ooh. And then that that earring would then later go to say you found a pirate washed up on the beach, and you'd take his earrings off, yep. melt them down, and that'd pay for his funeral and you know to get him to where he wanted to be buried. Ooh. So that was another reason why they, they wore the big earrings. It's, it's uh, tattoos were also seen as lucky. Seafarers would usually tattoo a nautical star on their bodies as the North Star represented a signal that they were nearing home. Mm. Cutting one's hair, nail trimming and beard or shaving were seen as big no-nos. That's why you right. get the big beards. And same with the tattoos, just our fishermen used to tattoo swallows. That's right. Uh, for safe safe return, because right. swallows always uh, return to the nesting. Yeah. Also with the anchors, man, with all the anchors yeah. as oh, well. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's bad luck to change the name of a boat. Right? Mm-hmm. Boats develop a life and a mind of their own once they are named and christened. Yep. If you do rename the boat, you must absolutely have a denaming ceremony. Right, This ceremony can be performed by writing the current boat name on a piece of paper, folding the paper and placing it in a wooden box, and then burning the box. After, scoop up the ashes and throw them into the sea. So then you can... Yeah, rename name. it, yeah. <coughs> and as a, we, we've touched on, was it the Pickering? That was renamed and that had all them problems, didn't it? That's right, yeah. yep. That was our ghost ship yep. episode. Is that on Patreon? I think so, yeah. 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 Seamen that hadn't paid for their debts were blamed for storms and any other misfortune events that would occur on the ship. So you had to pay your dues yeah, absolutely. before we're on the boat. I like this one. Redheads were thought to bring bad luck to a ship if you happened to encounter one before boarding. However, if you speak to the redhead before they get the chance to speak to you, you're saved. So if well, you're a red-headed woman, you're fucked. Unless you speak to her yeah. before she gets on. Yeah, okay. And then the last one for me is like, don't kill an albatross. Never. Seabirds were thought to carry the souls of dead sailors, yep. and it is considered bad luck to kill one. However, it is considered good luck if you see one. Mm. There you go. Some quite good ones in there, weren't they? Yeah. I think... Um... I'm not keen on about the bananas, though. I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bit. Well, no, it's like I say, it's just, you know, yeah. just putting two and two together, isn't it, and getting yeah, six. So. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know. Some could be good superstitions, some could be right, some could be just made up. Well, just don't do it, do you? Just don't go on a ship and whistle, because yeah. you just don't want to take the chance, really. But So, ghost stories, then. Right. Involving pirates. Okay. Well, I've got one here, and this is quite intrigued me. In the days when the pirates were rulers of the Gulf and lay claim to land uh, all up down the coast of Florida, there was one particularly a pirate that the name his his name was Jean Lafitte. Now, Jean Lafitte, like all of the scourge of the sea and terrors to society, he owned massive amounts of pirate loot, or what we might call treasure. Right, Jean Lafitte buried his treasure of jewels, gold and other precious items on Treasure Island in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. Right, in order to protect his booty, Jean Lafitte chose one of his minions, obviously this guy, his name was Pierre Leblanc, to watch over the treasure and ensure that no thieves would steal it. To help Pierre Leblanc's watch over the treasure, Lafitte gave him a Palomino horse to ride up and down the coast. One day a stranger came to Treasure Island, and was supposedly hunting for snakes in order to sell the skins. LeBlanc, being lonely, became drunk with the strange man and trusted him enough. He took his horse and walked away from the stranger, but in the morning the strange man found LeBlanc laying on top of one of the chests with the treasure inside. In the end, a fight ensued and LeBlanc had his head chopped off and the stranger made off with the booty. It is said to this day that the headless body of the pirate ghost Pierre Leblanc can still be seen on certain nights, riding up and down the coast of Treasure Island. Maybe he's in search for his head, or maybe he's still trying to protect the treasure that Lafitte left him in charge of for so long ago, which led to his demise. Mm. See, that was one of the rules in the handbook as well. Mm. You weren't allowed to be drunk, because everyone always thinks of pirates and that being drunk all the time well you? that's what the movies portray yeah. don't they always got like, a bottle of rum you weren't or whatever, allowed to be drunk in case yeah. of engagement so if you was found drunk at the time of engagement you had to give some of your whatever the spoils were of the of the battle you had to give some of yours back to the back to the ship yeah 
Well, I've got the last one here. Uh, this is the town of St. Augustine. It's said to be full to the brim with history. History of the natives who lived on the land when the Spanish came. History of Ponce de Leon and his encounters with the natives of the Floridian land. And history of, you guessed it, yes, pirates. Specifically, the lighthouse in St. Augustine is said to be one of the most haunted places in that state. Many of the ghost tours in St. Augustine will take you to the lighthouse to experience the creepy feeling of being watched. Or you could even capture an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, of some pirate ghost revelry yourself. You can actually hear singing and the lyrics speak of grabbing a molly. Now a molly, back in the days in the pirates, a molly was called that a prostitute. So there's going to go to a prostitute. I'm going to, I'm going to have a molly tonight. She was up there. It's a prostitute. Now, no one was in the lighthouse when his EVP was taken by the tourists. Many other stories of pirate ghosts in St. Augustine abound. So maybe if you visit, you'll get to see of one of Florida's many pirate ghosts yourself. Yeah, so again, we're talking about residual, aren't we? Well, you know, you go to a certain place, that, that things have just happened anyway. And from time and time again, you'll just get residual what that person in that time, it'll just replay itself. So yeah. Very good. So... That's the uh, my ghost stories. That's superstitions, ghost stories, bit of pirates for you. Yeah, and a bit of a paranormal news with the 